This is Salt and Spine. A lot of people make food just to, to keep going or to energize themselves, but I think we can embrace food in a, a way that, you know, we can enjoy it and feel like it stops your life and you can like focus on it. It's really special. Hi there, it's Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. You just heard a bit from today's guest. Uh, It's an exciting one. We've got Dan Pelosi joining us today. Now, you may know Dan Pelosi by his Instagram handle, Grossi Pelosi. He refers to himself as the Italian meatball making meatballs behind Grossi Pelosi, which is, of course, his popular Instagram handle and his broader brand that he has developed over the past few years to be about all things Italian. Italian-American, and comfort food. Dan found his way into the kitchen at an early age, uh, but studied design before finding himself working in food professionally. And he just published his first cookbook called Let's Eat, 101 Recipes to Fill Your Heart in Home. It became a New York Times bestseller, and it features some of the recipes that he's become known for, like his viral vodka sauce, and dozens more that are approachable and tasty and designed for sharing with the people that you love. In addition to writing his first cookbook, Dan appears regularly on Good Morning America and hosts the Secret Sauce show for Food 52. It's hard to call him Dan, so Grossi Pelosi, Dan, joined us virtually for this conversation. Stick around, it's a great chat, and of course we have a couple of featured recipes from his debut cookbook for our Substack subscribers. So let's head now to our virtual studio where Dan Pelosi, aka Grossi Pelosi, joined us to talk cookbooks. Well, hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I've I've long been a listener and as a cookbook fan. And now I'm here as an author, which is just like a huge honor. So thank you. Oh, we're we're honored to have you and congratulations on your first cookbook. It's beautiful. I just got my hard copy a couple of days ago and um, I love it. Let's eat 101 recipes to fill your heart and home. You've listened to the show. You know, we always start by talking about you. So before we get to the book itself, um, I, I feel like. <laughs> yes, your favorite topic for sure. Um, I love it. So, you know, you're you're also one of those people who I think some of our guests may feel like they already deeply know, right? You're an incredibly online person. People feel like, you know, I even I almost feel like I'm talking to a friend and this is our first time meeting. So, yeah, one, like, so bravo are. on, yeah, on, <laughs> on building that relationship with people. Um, but let's go back to the beginning to just talk a little bit more about your life. So, I know you grew up in, in Connecticut. You're, yeah. you're from Waterbury. Is that right? From Waterbury, Connecticut, born and raised, a very Italian Catholic, Irish Catholic Uh town, which is, you know, sort of the definition of my of my upbringing is Italian American, um, Catholic somewhat, but really sort of like deeply rooted in that sort of like culture, which you can sort of tell by my book and all the sure. other things I do. <laughs> yes. And and cooking, I mean, this is clear from all the things you do, as you say, and, and in your book too, that cooking was a big part of your life from a very early age you write in the book that other kids would you know go get in trouble um in their bedrooms or things and and you just wanted to be cooking with their moms yeah. <laughs> instead like <laughs> I was extre- i'm extremely indoors and extremely online um uh-huh. very much like you know just wanted to be with my grandmas my aunts my moms my aunties my grandparents just like hanging out in their basement kitchens was not interested in in sort of being a troublemaker or an adventure i wanted to just like be with the family and making food and learning 
And it wasn't just it wasn't just consuming food. It was you were really interested in the the act of cooking, the act of making food from an early age. Absolutely, all mm-hmm. the things: cooking, making, talking about it. You know, talking about what's for lunch at breakfast and what's for dinner at lunch. You know, um, clipping coupons, talking about what's happening at the grocery store, tasting marinara endlessly just to like sort of pretend like it's not right, but just keep eating it at the stove with my grandfather. <laughs> you yes, know? yeah. Yeah. So a good Italian American for sure. Um, and and your grandparents in particular played a big part in in your totally. childhood, especially from a food perspective. You write about it a lot in the yeah. book. You know, sort of both sides of grandparents yeah. and and the role that they all had in in varying ways. Yeah, absolutely. My grandparents were, you know, they were my caretakers um, when my parents couldn't be. They were my ter- caretakers when my parents could be. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were always there. They were always around. They lived, they were next door neighbors. My grandparents lived next door to each other because my parents met because they were next door neighbors. So oh, you just okay. couldn't not go anywhere without running into, we would run it, went to my grandfather at the grocery store. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. it's just, it was everywhere and it was really sweet and really fun. And, you know, my, my dad's parents were like really great cooks and made a ton of um, Italian American uh, food. My Mm -hmm. mom's mom, my grandma Millie was a pretty good cook. She wasn't like incredible, but she was super creative and really taught me a lot about presentation and really like embracing beauty. Um, She was a seamstress. She made really great clothes. We would make clothes for Barbie dolls together, which was so sweet. And Uh then um, her husband, my grandpa, John, who was not my biological grandfather, but was my grandfather my whole life. Um, he would, we would make yuck cakes. We would put like all kinds of random stuff in a bowl, mix it together, put it in the oven, and he would always take a bite, which I always like, you know, now realize was just the sweetest thing in the world. So yeah. <laughs> everyone was really open to me being creative and exploring all the avenues that I could to do that. And it was really special because I was a pretty hyper creative kid. Um, sure. Yeah, I read about these yuck cakes. And for some reason in my mind, I was picturing them to be like mud pies, like dirt or something. But no, this is just like a hodgepodge of edible ingredients. Like five cups of something and like four Uh eggs and like maybe a crayon. Like I, it just was like crazy, (laughs) you know? And it was always just like, what'll happen, you know? And it would come out of the oven like a brick. And he would like probably not take a bite, but be like pretending to if it wasn't gonna like, you know, be okay for him. But yeah. It just always was like this idea of like, you can't fuck up. Let's see what happens. Like this very like chill mentality. Like even my grandparents cooking these like incredible meals, like they did it with like joy and like pleasure. There was never like, oh, we have to get this on the table because, you know, it just was like, you're coming over. We're going to feed you. Like, of course we made a ham, a turkey. Like, why not? It's Sunday, you know? Yeah, that, that's actually a concept you open your book with, right? You open the, the first like sort of line in the book, the first subtitle in the oh, book yeah. is no one gets old at the table. This totally. concept that your your Uncle Tony, can, can you talk about that? Because that's, yeah. that's such a, yeah, a nice I way to wanted, open the book, I think. I actually wanted to call the book No One Gets Old at the Table, but okay. it, just, it just was a little, my editor was like, I feel like it's not optimistic and your brand is really <laughs> optimistic. And I was like, okay, true, true, true. But it is really this incredible italian saying um and it you know no one gets over the table and my grandfather my uncle tony was maybe a little bit of a drinker uh-huh. and maybe i was a little fidgety as a kid and didn't understand the meaning of sitting down and really relaxing at a meal right because i was a sure. kid yeah there was no right. ipad for me to play with i wanted to right. go like lay on the couch right 
And so he would sort of always yell, you know, Nasuno and Vecchio Sotavola, like at me in his Italian way. And it just means no one gets on the table. And I think no one gets on the table. It, it, it literally means like time stops. Like we're together at the table, we're eating. Time has stopped. There is no reason to rush. You are not aging. This is a moment where we're all sort of floating in this together. And we need to embrace that. And I just think it's like so beautiful like and i really think that if we can get in any way possible to a place like that when we're eating or when we're making food or when we're entertaining that's just so lovely you know yeah it really is was that a realization that you had at some point in your life was there like a moment where it sort of clicked for you because you you talk in the book about how that's kind of your mantra now right like that's what you do is try to find that in your in your words magic place where time stands still totally it it became you know you know you realize things about your childhood when you're older and it didn't you know it kind of clicked later on in life and i was like wow like what he was saying to me no eight-year-old would ever really be able to sort of like stop and although if there was one it might have been me because i was the (laughs) oldest eight-year-old in the entire world um (laughs) a very old soul but um i did not want to go outside i wanted to you know go and watch like a documentary on the tv but but um but yeah i mean i think it just really clicked with me and i was just like wow like crazy uncle tony for all the shit that everyone gave him was really spewing the most beautiful saying I've ever heard at dinner. And it just, you know, he didn't get credit for it. So I wanted to give uncle Tony a little, a little credit and also just kind of spread the word. Cause I think it's just a great sort of like intro to kind of like why we make food, you know, or at least why I make food. A lot of people make food just to, to keep going or to energize themselves. But I think if we can embrace food in a, a way that, you know, we can, enjoy it and feel like it stops your life and you can like focus on it it's really special sure so you didn't you know food big part of your life you didn't go into food professionally immediately um was that a thought for you like did you consider it it was and actually this goes into a whole other topic that i i talk about a lot which is sort of like my relationship with my body and food but i i I visited i went to the culinary institute of america when i was a Mm -hmm. sophomore in high school i was planning on going into culinary school but my mom unfortunately shared with me that one of her coworkers' sons went to culinary school and came back and had gained like 40 pounds in his first semester. And to me, as like a young, little, chubby, gay teenager who was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be loved because I'm fat. I can't go to culinary school because I'll just, mm-hmm. no one will ever accept me. And it really did like truly point me in a different direction. I decided I was going to go to design school. Uh-huh. And I did. I went to design school. And I don't regret any of that. I think that like I am squarely a home cook. I'm not sure. a food professional in that way. I'm not a chef. Um, I am a, a seriously sort of like enthusiastic home cook who shares food in that way and shares my experiences that way. And I think I love my career in design. I love my career in marketing and all the things I did. And I think they've really helped me shape what Grossi Pelosi or what my Dan Pelosi sort of like, I'll use the word brand. Hopefully you're not allergic to it, but what that is, you know? No, I think it's so true. And, you know, you worked for major brands. You you were working on creative campaigns, marketing, yeah. like p- brand positioning, and yep. and sort of pre, or or not pre, maybe sort of at the same time, the, the world was really sort of shifting to Absolutely. 
personal uh, personal brands becoming a real thing you know with the Absolutely. rise of social media and influencers and yeah. um did, did that sort of I, I know you weren't like running away from your career by any means you were no, like no. i hate my job i need to go oh. work in a kitchen somewhere it yeah. sort of happened naturally for you that you came to to this work full time but how did that sort of background fuel that and equip you to do that so like s seemingly seamlessly right so i think like two things i think like one i sort of like if we look at it objectively without all of the horrible things that came from the pandemic like truthfully yeah. i've been sort of living in, in lockdown my whole life like i know how to like stock my pantry i know how to cook a meal i know how to decorate and create a really comfortable home and i wasn't like i have to get out of my house like i like to be at home and i think when the pandemic hit people were like oh my god i have to stay home oh my god i have to cook for myself like mm -hmm. what is happening so i was sort of like uniquely equipped to get myself through the pandemic and then because i had a background in design marketing um and just sort of like all the things that encompass that i was able to cr pretty quickly create that easily digestible and teachable content for people to help them get through the pandemic in this sure. really horrible time using the skills that i just innately had because that's the way i live my life you know yeah and so, and then I was also able to hear the questions and all the things that people were messaging me and say, oh, people want this from me. So let me give it to them. And I kind yeah. of like, it's like my own little consumer research group was just messaging me all day long. And Did this it, book is a response to all the questions I got throughout the pandemic. Yeah, you say that at the beginning, right? Yeah. Like you, you have all these guides and things and it's yeah. really designed to answer all the questions you've been getting for years Absolutely. now. What was that like, though, to make that transition? Well, obviously, during lockdown, too, but just in general, right? Like to become such a almost an overnight presence, right? Like some of your the vodka sauce went quite viral pretty quickly. Like, how did how did you deal with that tra transition? It felt really natural. It was hard to work two jobs. I worked my creative sure. director job, and then I created Grossy for the first year of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, that was a lot. I mean, but also I was single at the time. It got me through the pandemic, like answering yeah. people's questions, creating recipes, all of this stuff was the thing that got me through when people were telling me you're getting me through the pandemic. I'm like, well, you're getting me through the pandemic because you are giving me a reason to fill my days, to do this, to create something. Um, and it was actually like quite a natural a natural transition. I dreamed for years of making food my full-time thing and being a food. I use the word personality as a really mm -hmm. proud thing. Yeah. Um, others may not, but I think I'm, I'm pretty clear on what I am. And I think I have a lot to say and I don't know everything, but I think what I have to say is clear. And I think people respond to it. And so it felt like a natural fit. And then I just kind of took it and ran with it. I was like unabashedly just marching forward because why not you know yeah so how did the book come about you 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 become a personality yeah so i i become this like presence this personality um i got a book agent in november of 2020 molly okay. boz introduced me to them molly's a good friend of mine andy baragani's a good friend of mine so i was surrounded by these people who were sort of doing the thing and sort right. of loving it and so proud of them and and molly was great and her agent was like, okay, let's like, you know, in, in next year, let's like start thinking about a proposal. And I tried my hardest to write a proposal. I was doing a million other things. 
Sure. I never got to writing a proposal by the sure. summer of 2021. <laughs> uh, my, my current editor reached out to my agent and was like, I want to buy Dan's book. And my agent was like, well, we don't have a book yet because he hasn't written a proposal. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, I don't care. We all know what the gross supposed cookbook's going to be. Like, I just want to buy it, you know? Yeah. And so after much back and forth, we decided that it was the right thing and we should do it. And I will say, as it's very chic to sell a book without a proposal, it also sets you up for a lot of work on the back end because you still have to write a proposal and align on everything <laughs> after you've yeah. sold the book, which can be risky. But luckily for me, it worked out. But And my editor was right. Like, we all know what the grossy Pelosi cookbook's going to be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's like, and you said earlier, you know, you always had a stocked pantry. Like, you yeah. you know how to stock a pantry. It's totally. it's in like your it's blood from cool. your, all the way through yeah. your grandparents. Like, it's... For sure. Like, in, um, in, in me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did once you had the that once you got on that path, then it wasn't particularly challenging to figure out like what the approach was, what the style was, what kinds of recipes would be in here. It, I, it happened naturally. Um, it was challenging, but mm -hmm. it also happened naturally. Mm -hmm. So I'm like not a food writer. I'm, I haven't worked in food media. Sure. I wrote my first recipe in 2020, like literally, like I've been emailing people kind of like, here's how I kind of make a meatball. Here's sort of how I make there. My mom's best friend would be like, you're really good at this. Like I was always sort of uh -huh. the person who was at the like barbecue or the thing. And people were like, how did you make that? And I would be like, Oh, let me kind of vaguely, but I like actually started really writing recipes for people to follow in 2020. And so I do not have steed. I'm not adept at it. I'm not like, you know, I'm not particularly like fast at it. I have a lot of good ideas and I know how I want things to taste. Yeah. So it was for sure challenging. And I think creating the TOC and all the recipes, um, I had some ideas that I thought were really great. And then my editor really helped me shape them into even better ideas. So it was definitely, um, a team effort and I'm so grateful. And I, you know, everything I've done in my whole life has always been a team effort. I was a creative director for years and I always had a team of people. I was never mm -hmm. out there doing it for myself. So I'm not the kind of cookbook writer who's like alone in my kitchen for, you know, a year writing this book. I was like, how do I support myself? How do I make this happen? Let me talk to this person who's written a cookbook. Let me bring this person on to help me project manage everything. Like I just was asking everyone I knew for help and everyone sure. was so lovely, you know? That's a great way to do it. That's a great way to build a cookbook for sure. Well, yeah. And I think it's a, it's how I learned everything in my life. I mean, I've been cooking alongside yeah. my aunts and uncles and my grandparents, soaking up all the knowledge my whole life. And then when I became an adult, I, I gravitated towards people who were really good at things. And then I learned from them, you know? Yeah. I do think like this this pantry concept, I mean, in general, like folks really realized how important a, a well-stocked pantry can be during the pandemic. Absolutely. Knock on wood, we don't have to go through anything yes. like that again, but just Absolutely. in general, right? No, it's really important. And what do you think, you know, as as a pantry evangelist, what are the things, and you offer a list at the beginning of sort of I your do. essentials, but what are the things when you go to other people's pantries that they're always lacking? Like, what are the things people need to be adding that they may not be? Well, I, I first of all, I, I don't know if you caught this, but or if you're insinuating this, but like, I am the person who will come to your house and go directly to your refrigerator <laughs> and your pantry, and I will look yeah. at like I won't even and critique. Ask, which I don't critique, but I'm curious because okay, yeah. again, I wrote this book to help others. Yeah. It's very much like this is my life, but I wanted all these guides and all these things to be like, okay, you can use this. Like I want this to be on your countertop with the like corners down on the guide. So you're like, I'm out of mayonnaise. What can I use? Oh wait, Grossi's book will tell me. Yeah. So I've most recently been so fascinated by like the kinds of salt that people have in their homes. I was, I visited some friends over the course of the summer. People don't have kosher salt. Right. People Most people do don't. Yeah. 
have table salt. Right. It shocks me always too. (laughs) And people are using sea salt to boil pasta water. Like I'm just like, oh my gosh, like there is space for me to teach people and not many other people to teach people about salt, right? Yeah. Like I gave Mm -hmm. my friend this weekend a lecture, not a lecture, I gave her advice, friendly advice about what kind of salt to use where, you know? And I mentioned this book, as most cookbooks do, are like kosher salt is the salt that all these recipes are written with and it is Diamond Crystal or it is whatever brand, but people don't know that. And that's that to me is like really unlocks a lot when you learn that. Yeah. And now Diamond Crystal, they're rebranding, they're yeah. repackaging, they're gonna Prices they're in Trader Joe's, right? Like but like it, yeah. I don't know, maybe we're on a, a cusp of people learning about salt for once. Yeah. Um <laughs> did you know at the beginning or as you were putting this book together, you do these grossies guides, yeah. right? So like substitutes, meal yeah. plans, like uh was that something you wanted to incorporate and and kind of as you mentioned, it's a, a print yeah. substitute for the DMs you get, right? Yes, absolutely. That is something that was very important important to me i have been mm-hmm. the grossy guide there's so many grossy guides on my website and i think like i love the sort of lifestyle girlies like i love martha i love Ina, i love yeah. giving a heavy dose of sort of how i live my life because i found that people are interested and the guides were a way for me to like cover some of those big basic questions that i get and really help people answer some everyday things and so the grossy guide now is in the book and i hope that whatever else, however many books i could luckily write if i do will they'll always be sort of like a legacy of like the grocery guide mm-hmm. um because i wanted them to be like quick easy and also like the most visually interesting part of the book and i think they're really fun i'm super excited about that they're really fun i love the typography and the playing with contrasts and um cooking for a crowd yeah. i love like you say it's one of the most common questions you get oh, and yeah. i love that your response is usually like i need a bio of everyone attending <laughs> and an entire <laughs> menu of what you're making in order yeah. to make any recommendations yeah, here like, i don't know yeah. how to cook for your eight people who are they like what's right. going on you know how many apps are you having yeah um I also i loved your meal your meal plan suggestions and i want to ask you about the last one which is uh, what to do when you're asked to a potluck dinner party and your response is to decline the invitation. Can you elaborate on that, please? So I'm a big proponent of don't yak my yum. So first of all, like, Uh you know, I'm sort of, I just think I love a menu. I love going to someone's house to like understand how they do things. I love seeing people's full point of view. I also love giving my full point of view. So if you come to my house for dinner, I'm not asking you to bring any food. Right. You can bring wine. You could bring weed. You can bring me a, like a mm-hmm. candle. Maybe mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll be like, will you pick up this specific dessert that I want? But I like the sort of full, I think entertaining is fun and a full point of view. Now, Thanksgiving is a potluck. I don't mean Thanksgiving. We all know what's coming to the Thanksgiving table. Sure. A true potluck is just like, bring whatever you want. Let's see. And to me, I'm like, I have Ajita immediately. My stomach's upset. I don't know what I'm getting. Like, is that thing that you made going to mix well with this thing? Like, I just feel like it's a, it's a real formula for like maybe puking at the end of the meal. (laughs) Yeah. And I say that like, I want it to be a little sassy, but like people get it. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm sort of hoping to encourage people to like entertain with a point of view. Uh huh. And take control of it. Yeah. Point of view. It, yeah. To me, it's just a reckless point of view, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reckless and dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels very fitting that the first recipe we get in the book is Calabrian chili crisp. 
right? It's a anybody who follows you on Instagram knows what a staple that is in your diet. Yes, yes, Calabrian chili paste and Calabrian chilies have long been a staple. And I think creating there's sort of you know there is like a very strong chili crisp trend happening right now. Right, we have several books coming just on chili crisps. Are you talking to Jamesy? Yeah, right. Jamesy was just at my house the other day, and we did a little club. I have Jamesy's chili crisp, but. Chili crisp is amazing. And I think for me, there, there's a lot of chili crisp. Are, there's like, a, most of them are sort of in the sort of Asian food realm, right. but I wanted to create one that felt Italian. And I think for me, it was about like when I was a kid, my whole family lives on the same street. Like my grandparents are next door neighbors and my aunts and uncles, everyone's. And I went to my uncle's basement kitchen and I ate something that just had the most glorious depth of flavor. And I'll never forget that bite. And I have no idea what it was, but Mm -hmm. so much of what I do is try to recreate those food memories. And I wanted something that could instantly give anything I was making that depth of flavor in sort of the Italian way. Sure. And so this chili crisp to me is like the highest form of recreating those taste memories. Um, And this chili crisp, like put it on everything. It's so yummy. There's a couple of recipes in the book that suggest it. But I've just had it on my counter now for like a year. Yeah. And I'm so obsessed with it. I actually left some at Molly, Molly Baz's house and her husband, Ben, who's a good friend of mine. And they loved it. It just made me so happy. So um, I think in a world where a lot of times we're just rushing out the door, we don't feel like cooking to have a, a chili crisp. And we have, we're blessed with so many. Um, I wanted to contribute to that because I do think that easy peasy should be a great way to do things. So. Yeah, I love it. Did you know when you were putting the book together, it would have a centerfold? So that was one of my, yes. So that was my big, I was like, I I told my, I think my editor, her eyes were never happier than when I told (laughs) her that. Um, Because I just was like, I I was like, have you ever done a centerfold in a book? Uh What do you mean? And I was like, like Playboy, like there's a centerfold. And she was like, no. And then she was like, oh my God. And she was like, we have to do it. And I knew that I wanted to do, I was really lucky that it was a dead center of the book. Uh Because to me, I love symmetry. And then it's like sandwiched by the two chat. And then it's like, and I just was like, it has to be the Italian sandwich. Like I want the sexiest, like dripping, overstuffed, ridiculous Italian sandwich. And I was sort of like picturing it like in someone's like bedroom on the wall next to like a Playboy centerfold. But anyways, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I hope people love it. I, we made it happen. My editor worked with her production team. They worked so hard on it. And I'm I love it. it. It's stunning. It's stunning. Just a massive Italian sandwich. Um, and it's a one chapter. It's a one recipe chapter. So it just to me, it's just like ridiculous. It's, you know? it's perfect. And tucked behind it is um, this this concept of secret sandwiches, too, yes. which yes. you write that you view most leftovers as future sandwiches, which I, sure I, I truly love. And, ma- and you make suggestions throughout the book of recipes that can easily be sandwiched. Absolutely. Something yeah. I've been doing throughout the whole pandemic, especially because, you know, I was cooking for myself seven days a week instead of two, was really making sandwiches out of anything. And I think people really responded to that. I initially proposed a full chapter of sandwiches and my editor was like, I don't think like your first book can have like seven sandwich recipes. It's just not like mm-hmm. the thing. And I was like, yeah. okay. I was like, well, we have to have the Italian sandwich. And then we talked about how great it would be. Like, okay, how would you make the best meatball sandwich? How can you take the porchetta? How can you take sausage and peppers? Like, what's my point of view on those sandwiches? And I'm just so happy with the way it worked out. Yeah, 
How do you decide when you're looking at recipes? Um, I feel like so many of your recipes are refined classic dishes, right? The vodka sauce is the premier example. Um, So many are family recipes, right? That you're passing down and and preserving. And then there are some that, you know, are twists, right? Like the, the, I I really love the fork and knife carbonara, um, which is like a a twist on that, right? So how do you decide, because so much of what you do is about classic recipes. How do you decide when it's worth playing around inventing being creative totally i mean i think it's such a good question because i really i really want to stick within the realm of sort of the classics i I, and it's something that i i always just think about like what is going to bring a smile to my face when i'm eating this right and i Uh think that like some things don't need to be reinvented and some things like carbonara, like I just am always digging through a pile of spaghetti looking for like the tiniest, crispiest piece <laughs> of like pancetta. Yeah. And I was like, I want a slab of bacon and a huge, thick pockery and I want to cut it with a fork and knife and I want to eat it. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, that's a like to me i was like this is such a breakthrough and i really think it's like the best one of the best recipes in the book i'm super proud of it i love the photo like the whole thing but other recipes you know i'm just sort of like i just want to make a delicious vodka sauce i'm not reinventing mm-hmm. the wheel you know i want to make a really delicious um cacio pepe i put chickpeas in it like that's like yeah. not crazy but it's just like a nice texture add so i, I don't pressure myself to reinvent the wheel i think if i can make a delicious class delicious classic but i i'm always looking for a way to sort of take something i love and make it more me more grossy sure you know i have a banana bread recipe on my website and i made a peanut butter frosting for it because i'm like peanut butter and banana is my favorite snack everyone has a banana bread recipe but people love the peanut butter and banana bread you know like just things like that that are simple yeah oh i haven't made that that sounds delicious it's good you you work with a lot of like recipes that are part of your family history, right? Do you do you find things that surprise you in them sometimes? Like I was really intrigued um, with Aunt Aunt Chris's cheesecake, which has cottage cheese in it. It does, it does. Yeah. and it's so funny because I've been eating. I'm one of those people who's like the the recent cottage cheese trend. I'm like, okay, yeah. I've been eating cottage cheese my whole life. Like everyone, calm down. But I'm really happy that cottage cheese is now getting a big light on her. When I was developing this book, I was like, I hope people eat this because everyone hates cottage cheese. Right. But like, I would make this cheesecake and I would never tell anyone that there was cottage cheese in it because you don't know. It just adds so much creaminess to it. And so my aunt Chris has been making this cheesecake my whole life. And I was like, you know, for this book, I interviewed everyone in my family. So much of what I did during COVID was just call people in my family and talk to them about the recipes. Cause you know, there's like five Maria's and they all make the same thing differently. Right. So I'm like learning from everyone's recipes and then making my own best version. My aunt Chris gave me her recipe. I tested it a couple times and I was like, okay. I was like, she would always take a can of cherries on top, which I like fucking love. But I was like, mm, I want to give yeah. people an option for like their own sort of like cherry compote. You put a little amaretto in it. Gorgeous. And then I was like, I'm obsessed with Biscoff cookies. Yeah. I want to do a Biscoff crust. Easy swap for graham crackle. I think, I think one of our other more recent cookbooks just did the same thing, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Biscoff. We love a Biscoff cookie. We do a love cheesecake. a Biscoff, yes. Perfect thing. Yeah. So just little simple tweaks, you know? And then it's also being like, you can use graham crackers if you want. I just want to give this a slightly different perspective, but it's still on Chris's cheesecake, you know? Yeah. And, and and mostly, you know, you're not messing with the Italian American classics, but we do have a rainbow cookie loaf cake that like the okay. rainbow cookie is my favorite cookie of all time. And I, I cannot you. believe you have a loaf cake. Okay, but like 
in a good way or a bad way? In a good way. No, oh, in a, okay. in a, like in a this thrilling way. This I'm is... sure. Yeah. Have you yeah. had pushback? Well, I haven't had pushback, but I'm very nervous. Okay. Sure. <laughs> because there is a, there is a world where you go into like a bakery and they mm-hmm. do like the rainbow cookie cake, but it's like rounds and they're slicing it. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a cake version of a rainbow cookie. What I'm trying to do is make Italian rainbow cookies easier for people to make because they right. are a pain in the ass. They right? are. Yes. I am. I don't even want to do it. There's women yeah. in my family who are like the queens of it and we let them do it because we respect them. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Like let Maria have her rainbow cookie. I'm out. I do go to Chow Gloria. I go to Archistratus. Gorgeous places in the city have amazing ones. Do I, a lot of times when I'm eating a single rainbow cookie, wish it was the size of a piece of cake? I do. So I thought, okay, let's make a loaf cake. If I can still get the same texture, the density of the rainbow cookie, but in a loaf cake, and it makes it somewhat easier for someone to make. Sure. This feels like, to me, an acceptable fresh take on it. That's somewhere in between the cookie and the like, kind of more grotesque rainbow cookie birthday cake you know right right that's where i stand uh yeah i'm for it i'm i mean i, I haven't know. tried it but okay. anything more complicated yeah, recipes yeah. in the book but yeah well yeah. but but it's easier than the traditional rainbow cookie recipe which which i have done and is very time consuming it's very it's it's tedious super takes five days yeah which like i'm curious to see what people think i mean there's yeah. a lot of like I've done plenty of stuff to make the diehard Italians or Italian Americans upset and I'm not afraid to do it. Like, yeah, don't make my loaf cake. I'm cool. Yeah. But if you want to try it, it is a really fun way and it is super, super delicious. And, um, hopefully people love it. It's gotten some good reception. So, we'll, well I'm a fan thus good. far. Um, not that, having that tried it, but I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I, I, the vodka sauce is like the most, um, identifiable recipe in, in your portfolio, right? It's what people associate you with. Do you, do you get tired of it? Do you get tired of talking about it? Do you get tired of having to like, do you have to make it like, is it like, you know, if you're like the inventor of the blooming onion, you're probably like, I never want to eat another blooming onion in my entire life. Like, <laughs> No, it is, it is a pretty, like, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy dose for sure. Um, I did at the beginning of my journey, teach classes, uh, over zoom to make money. Um, and I taught mostly vodka sauce classes. It's a really fun one to teach. I think it's an instant crowd pleaser. Everyone loves it. It's also very, um, gluten-free, dairy-free friendly. Yeah. Um, which is a great, it's a great recipe. It's a, it's a total win. I'm not tired of it. Um, I think because it was in the book, I sort of told myself to take a bit of a break from it for a while so that it felt a little bit more new when it, but every day I get tagged, someone makes it like every single day for the past three years. And that just makes my heart so happy because I think in a world where there's people putting out three recipes a week and doing all this, you know, tons of recipe creation, which I'm so in awe of, I could never in a million years do that. It's nice to have something that I made in, I think I made it in Mm -hmm. like, march of 2020 and people are still making it like that that's the kind of recipes i want in the world i want like classics i want people to make them once a week once a month you know yeah we're we're a show on cookbooks as you know you're wearing the hat but like what cookbook authors what books have been influential to you over the course of your career we're an audio show so i should say you're wearing a barefoot contestant i'm wearing a barefoot contestant hat it is my sort of like guiding light i think Uh i'm not really 
you know, I do want to do cooking for Gus. I do want to do grossy in Rome. You know what I mean? Like if I'm lucky enough, like I think she's kind of the blueprint. I think her recipes are really great takes on classics. I think she's not just like adding pistachios and halva for fun. Like she's making really smart choices and all of this is good. I'm not like saying that's a bad thing, but like I want to make like modern comfort food in the same Mm -hmm. way that she is. I grew up, cooking mostly Italian American food with my whole family. When I moved to San Francisco, when I was 23, I started buying Ina's books. I mean, I had Mm -hmm. some of them, but I bought them for my own home. And she taught me how to make baby's chocolate cake, her peanut butter and jelly bars, her coconut cake, her dips, her roast chicken. Like she taught me uh, comfort food. And I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do the same thing for people. Yeah. She's your guiding light. I love it. Have you met her? I haven't met her. Yeah. I met Martha. I interviewed Martha okay. last year at a conference. I like literally for an hour was on stage with Mark, Martha and a microphone. It was insane. That's amazing. Ina has commented on a few of my posts. Um, okay. It'll happen. Yeah, it'll happen for sure. I, I feel yeah. it for you. <laughs> well, we always end with little games. So um, aside from vodka sauce, perhaps the other thing you're most well known for is your holiday cookie swap mm. and your holiday cookie party. Um, we also for now six years have done a salt and spine cookie swap in the mission oh, and civic kitchen. Um, oh, every year we usually have about a thousand cookies being swapped. Um, so uh, perhaps cool. one year down the line, we'll do a collab on our, our cookie swap. Um, so we have a deck of secret ingredient cards. So I'm going to kind of just flip through them and you tell me when to stop. And then I'll, I'll pick that one that I stop on and we're going to see if we can holiday cookie it. Right. So oh, wow. this is just a random mix of wow. ingredients, some dream. probably much harder than others for you to cookie, <laughs> but we want to see if grossy Pelosi can turn it into some sort of holiday cookie sweet or savory okay let's do how this. do we feel okay i'm gonna start I'm shuffling ready. through oh stop sorry okay oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like uh what's happening <laughs> i'm like the olive garden person with the cheese right it's, it's <laughs> totally, never stopped. Totally. <laughs> okay all right well we stopped on kimchi oh so can we can, can we holiday cookie with kimchi um i mean this is giving Eric Kim Gochujang cookies that took over the Oh, that's right. Year. Yeah, I forgot about He's those. He's a total genius. Yes. I wonder, so kimchi is like, it's pretty bright. It's pretty sour. I wonder if you could like puree it, like, or make some sort of like puree into a dough. So it's not like, I don't know if I want the crunchy or the fibrous like of the cabbage. Sure. But maybe you could do like a, like a swirl in the same way that Eric kind of did his Gochujang as I yeah. say it, go to ch- whatever. Go to Chang, yeah. I'm a real white person, so I can't. I know, like, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that could be really interesting in terms of flavor. I also sort of like, I don't know why gingerbread is popping into my head. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. Gingerbread could be interesting. Yeah. And you get a little bit of the spice from the kimchi, yeah, like a, the like spice from the gingerbread. Like gingerbread like is a... one of our more savory sweets out there. Yes. Know? Yeah. That could be interesting. That could be interesting. Okay, you want to try one more? Yeah, I want to try all of them. Okay. Do you have three hours? I, I, I yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> For this, sure. Okay, tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Ooh, flour tortillas. Oh, I like that. Can we holiday cookie those? I'm wondering, like, so we do like the chocolate ravioli cookie, uh-huh. which is in Italian, sort of like, which is sort of like you deep fry it, you like stuff it with chocolate and then you kind of like shape a ravioli and you deep fry it and it gives you kind of like i guess it's more like empanada 
I don't know if it would work. Oh, you know what I make? I make those recipes on my website. It's by Grandma Millie's, um, her honey nut like strips. She basically takes like wonton oh, yeah. wrappers, cuts them, fries them, puts um, powdered sugar, honey, and almonds. And they're sure. just like a great easy. So I wonder if you could like, I'm thinking we're like frying them. Yep. And then we're putting something like sweet, like sugar, a nut, something on them, honey, like something like that. Like yeah. Oh, I like it. Yeah. And sugar. I mean, this is not a hard one, really. I feel like people do this. No, I think it's, it reminds me of like a, a Ritz cracker too, right? Like you can, you can dunk yeah. it in something, you can cookie it in some oh, way. Right. Yeah. It's also going it to be like cinnamon sugar pita chips, like Stacy. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? There like, we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do a final one. Okay. Third, third time's the charm. Okay. Tell me when to stop. Okay. Stop. Okay, kumquats. Mm, that's um, nice. Some fresh pro, some fresh citrus. I mean, I would love to do like a thumbprint, like a gorgeous, oh, yeah. like thumbprint, like sort of like a like a weedy, like dark, sort of like more of like a natural grain cookie with like a nice yep. like kumquat jam could be really pretty. Maybe a little coconut. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds great. I love the thumbprint. Yeah, uh, thumbprints are uh, the best. I mean, like that hit of jelly. My boyfriend's uh, mom makes her own jam, and it is just heaven uh, i would make cookies with that too amazing well we successfully holiday cookied it so let's thank do you for it this is along. so fun <laughs> yeah well thank you so much dan for joining us on yes, salt and spine it was a blast it was perfect uh, a dream and you're such a like calming lovely podcast host i really appreciate it oh thank you <laughs> come back anytime And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our website, saltandspine.com. If you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. We also love to see your ratings on Apple Podcasts. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney, and the Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers digital and in-person classes for home cooks, and you can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen team, and to our friend Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. Thank you.